hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan, and welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, my name is Peter, and today it's just me and the original Buzz Carrick. Hello, Buzz. Hello, Peter, calling in today from Salt Lake City, where I have an interview for the RSL opening. Oh, you're going to apply for the new gig. Oh, good. All right. Well, hopefully. Go for Pecky's job. Yep, I'm yeah, I'm in. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, that whole thing mystifies me that anybody thinks he should have retained his job. Uh, you know, losing your cool and throwing out some sort of uh, slur once, you know, I can get it. You can lose your cool and say something you don't mean to, you don't really mean. But then to, like, repeatedly say it multiple times, well, that begins to push into, you know, like, okay, now you're crossing the line territory. But to write it on a piece of paper... And then hand it into the referee uh, room. That is like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Yeah, to to set that up and like go go find paper and a pen and then write it and then cross whatever part of the building you have to do to find the referee room to give it to him. That's that's a lot of time to have cooled down. He didn't didn't happen. So he definitely crossed some lines. And uh, now there's five coaches out of jobs this year. So I'm surprised they took this long to fire him. I mean, I know they had to go through the suspension, but I frankly, once I heard that he actually wrote the slur down on a piece of paper and handed it in to the people he was slurring at, uh, they didn't fire him on the spot. But um, I don't own a soccer team, so maybe, maybe that's something about me. Now, Dan is not with us because Dan is working on the TIFO. Yeah, apparently he had a bit of a TIFO emergency. I don't, TIFO I don't Dan. know. What- <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what that entails. What an emergency is? Well, but, uh, maybe maybe it's a it it bodes well because this is for the Houston game uh, a weekend from now, and that's always a big one. And I know everybody loves to put up some sort of you know meaningful, high quality uh, jibe at Houston via tifo tifo jibe. So hopefully they'll get that all sorted out, and we'll have Dan back next week. Maybe the tifo was about uh, Cabrera, and now they have to change it. And, oh, and that's maybe right. Maybe that's the emergency. Yes, Wil- Wilbur Cabrera without a job now. Yeah. Uh, former Dallas Burn goalkeeper Matt Jordan is the GM over there, and, and you know, uh, you know, the funny thing was is when I saw the news about Cabrera being fired, my honest, my first and honest, most immediate reaction was, "Huh, the Houston ownership and front office actually cares enough to change coaches this late in the season." <laughs> yeah, I mean, they do. Uh, they're they're definitely on a. You know, part of it is is if you saw the quotes from uh, Matt Jordan was that. They had the best start they'd ever had, and then the wheels came off. So it's like it, it's not just that they're on a downturn; it's that they're on a downturn from the best start ever. Yeah. So that's a pretty big swing, and they they were pretty active in the window and went and got some big pieces. And um, the the other problem they have is they have a complete and total disconnect from their academy. I mean, they don't they don't have homegrowns at all. And at all, in the modern MLS, you got to have both. You got to have signings and homegrowns to compete. But is that Cabrera's fault? It might be. I mean, what, what you hear, what I hear is the disconnect is between the academy and the first team that they don't, oh, I see they don't bring saying. guys into train and they don't oh. sign guys. And the, and, the, and the, even like the systems they play are different. There's no like integration of the academy with the first team is my, what I hear. So, um, you know, I'm not a dynamo expert, but certainly that that's a problem in terms of modern MLS. You got to have both pieces if you really want to compete. Well, you would. Yeah, uh, sure. I've also heard over the years that, uh, he's not easy to get along with and he's not a player's coach that players, uh, don't like him as a coach very much. So maybe he wore his welcome out as well. So who knows? I have heard that too, that he is very demanding. Um, he's good friends with Oscar though. So maybe, the, maybe he'll go down as jealous. Well, we wish, you, Oh no, we don't uh, screw you, Houston. Okay. So <laughs> 
Uh, Sorry. Let's see. So, uh, Buzz, uh, we have two FC Dallas games to talk about since the last time we did a podcast. One is the 5-3 to three entertaining win at home against Minnesota United, uh, putting a end to their winning streak, or at least undefeated streak. And then we have last night's uh, meh loss in L.A. to the Galaxy. Which FC Dallas is this? Please stand up, Buzz. Well, uh, can it be both? Is that allowed? Yeah, um, sure. The, the, yeah, the, the first game um, is against a team that's rotated the majority of their squad, you know, which hasn't always gone in Dallas's favor. You, we, already, we already talked about the Red Bulls when they came in here. Um, but, you know, when, you, when, you're, when you're having a gold route and you're trying to get things going and you play a team that's going to play a bunch of reserves, uh, things go well and your young team excels and looks good and looks exciting and they put five on people and then you turn around and fly to los angeles uh, which is a place that L- uh, dallas has historically not performed well at all despite the fact that they won five in a row against the galaxy it's a very difficult place to play um you know they've just added pavone which is a huge ad you know they've got two they've got four or five players that are not even within stratosphere of what dallas can afford and now your team is worn out and tired and young and is in, unable to break down LA just as they've been unable to break down anybody else. So um, both those games are exactly the kind of thing you expected out of the t- team FC Dallas is. So that's the answer. It's both. Both those teams are FC Dallas as it currently stands. Okay. So explain uh, to me, Buzz, how in the Minnesota game uh, a team can have 11 shots on goal in one game and one shot on goal in the other. Well, part of that, of course, is that uh, the defense that you're playing against, um, but it is, it's an aspect of what they've been working on a lot lately, which is this idea that um, they're not a team that crosses the ball high in the air because they don't have any height. So they cross the ball low and driven, and they were trying to get uh, extra runners into the box. That was why they changed formations, and they moved Jesus Ferreira up, uh, not up for him, but up for that position. And played him sort of parallel to Paxton, and, and Jesus took advantage and got into the box under the striker and got uh, four or five shots. I can't remember how many it was, and and other players took opportunities to make those runs and get that extra guy in there, and it paid off. Uh, even late in the game, Cervania's two goals both were the extra player coming into the box and scoring. Um, and then you play face LA, uh, and they run uh, the same low block, but they ran it a little higher up the, the field. And Dallas, as we know, can't go over the top, really. Uh, and so since they played that same formation and Dallas was a little tired, they, weren't un- they were unable to do those passes. They were unable to get that extra player in the box, and it fell apart. So, um, you know, the positive signs are that Lucci found a way, at least against a team that wasn't very good, to get his guys going and get it working like he wants it to. You know, the bad news is it doesn't work all the time. Well, isn't the bad news that they finally kind of got off the snide and scored a bunch of goals, won a game they really needed to win, and then a few days later just looked like total crap? And again, this is what, now the fourth time that they've gone? Yeah. At fourth time in six games they've been shut out? Yeah, uh, I think that's right. The The difference, you know, against, against uh, Minnesota, they had 20 shots, but 11 of them were on goal. That's a really high percentage. That's over half. Against LA, they had uh, 11 shots. Oh, wait, hold on. That's the wrong page. Stand by. Against LA, they had 15 shots, which is still a fairly high number for a road team. You wouldn't necessarily think that was bad, but only one of them was on goal. 
you compare that to LA, which had 11 shots and they had five of their shots. They had half their shots on goal. You know, it's just, it, it was a case of what, what LA did playing a little higher and, 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 uh, specifically Paxton and, and, uh, Ferreira both had really terrible games combined. Um, Jesus didn't have any of those shots that he had in the previous game. He only had one shot total. He just couldn't even find the ball hardly. And Paxton had what for him was a terrible game. He had zero dribbles. He did not take a single player on. He had zero shots. He got dispossessed once and he had three bad controls. And then when they sub somebody in to try and mix things up, originally Ferrero was on the left, but Paxton switched himself basically. And then he was pretty quickly subbed out. So um, that actually raised a flag for me that maybe Paxton's dealing with something. I'm not super sure what's going on with that, but what do you mean? Like an um, injury of some sort? Yeah, maybe. Cause like wh why he would take himself out of the middle and go to the left. And then five minutes later, he subbed out when he's clearly, but all year been your MVP and to have such a bad game when he's been in such a great form. And even just two days before had a great game. So it was a real flip there for him. So that made me wonder, I mean, I don't have any evidence to that, but I question other than the fact that he's 19, you know, how do you go from so good to so bad so quickly uh, other than LA obviously really made a concentrated effort with their midfield to try and deny Paxton and Ferreira space and deny, let them getting into those lines and getting in between the lines and break those lines. And which is the key to what Lucci had him do last game against Minnesota, where it worked when Minnesota didn't have the experience in the middle and didn't know how to stop that. I mean, really DeSantos was the difference mostly for LA denying those guys opportunities. It was kind of impressive to watch really for a team that doesn't press and doesn't really defend. They kind of just hold their positions they completely stifled what Dallas was trying to do. It was crazy to watch. Yeah, so back to the original question of which one is the real FC Dallas, and, and you suggest both. There yeah. probably is something to at least ask about uh, when it comes to the one team that Dallas played, the game they won, uh, was a very much a watered-down version of its best self. Yeah. And also on the road, or at least Dallas was home and Minnesota was on the road. And the other uh, is a team that's kind of powering on all cylinders uh, as much as it can, including this brand new guy, Pavone, who Zlatan has already said is too good for the league. Yeah. And that's another conversation. Uh, so, uh, again, I'm a little bit confused as to, you know, where should uh, the general FC Dallas fan feel this team is? Is this team a playoff team? Well, it is a confusing team. Um, and maybe that's the nature of being a young team and a young coach. I mean, we say that a lot, but, um, it's a team that is, up, it is up and down, you know, I, when, and you want to compare it to Pavone, just as, since you brought him up, he had six, uh, dribbles at people, you know, and uh, was only effective on two or four, but, you know, was at least partially involved in, on both goals, you know, made a difference in the game. Well, you know, against Reggie, the guy who clearly we love Reggie, but Pavone is clearly in a different class right now and where he is in his career. And um, so that was a tough one for Reggie. But, um, you know, D Dallas is a team right now that has a bunch of strikers, Barrios, Baji, uh, Ferreira, Mosquera, whoever you want to bring in, Cobra. Oh, sorry, Garden Snake, um, Coleman. They have a bunch of strikers that are not particularly good at finishing. So, you know, when when they figured out against the team how to get an extra guy in there, you know, and, and were able to take their time and get their shots on goal, they score and it's effective. When you play against a, a team LA that's really experienced, doesn't give you that time, doesn't give you those balls. They don't have anybody that can shoot, you know. I mean, they had they had one, they had hardly any passes into the final third in that game. You know, they resorted to Brian Acosta blasting the ball from, from 40 yards out and trying to make all these long passes that none of which connected. So, you know. It'll depend which team you get for Dallas going forward. It's going to depend entirely on who they're playing, how good that team's defense is, 
how prepared they are to face Dallas. You know, if you run into a bad team, like maybe Montreal this weekend, we don't know that isn't prepared to handle Dallas's interesting, exciting players and isn't able to handle that extra player in the box. Then maybe Dallas has a really good game, but you run into anybody that's got a good defense and it's going to be a, a bad night. Uh, just to admit, I fell asleep for about 20 minutes of the second half last night. The game was so boring and so un, so uninteresting in so many ways. I woke up uh, at some point, maybe it was when Zlatan scored or Zlatan did something, I woke up. I just It was not an entertaining game, which was so weird because the Minnesota game in comparison, and I guess any game with eight goals in it is going to be entertaining, but Dallas just looked like it had a different gear and a different attitude and uh, and and I will repeat what I said at the beginning of the season. This is absolutely not a playoff team, and I think that becomes more and more obvious as every week goes by. Now, um, uh, is that the the quality of play from this team when it doesn't have its head right with ball is is pretty disturbing and really begins to show the lack of overall talent in comparison to the rest of the league. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it was a boring game. LA kind of choked the life out of the game by the way they play defense because they're kind of old, so they don't chase. They just set up in a good block and make you break them down. And Dallas, as we know, can't really break people down. So, um, you know, they had they the, the 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 real frustrating part is that the game was there for the taking. For the first sixty minutes, uh, FC Dallas was the better team and had the better chances. I think they had, let me see where to go. Oh, before 60 minutes, they had 11 shots. I wrote this down and afterwards they only had four and it was like LA to that point didn't have much of the ball. And, but then after about the 60, 65th minute, all of a sudden LA made a change. They brought in a, a tuna on the right and it changed their whole team. And all of a sudden they had the ball and all of a sudden Zlatan's firing shots and all of a sudden Pavon's breaking ankles and they're winning the game. They made it look easy in the end. So that's what's so frustrating about Dallas. And, and this one, that's actually a point we might put on Lucci because he ran the exact same 11 out and didn't change it up at all. And when you have a midweek game and a game this weekend, you probably got to rotate some people somewhere and to go back to back with the exact same guys. It's no wonder they ran out of gas at the 60th minute. You know, what did they expect to have happen? And the subs they brought in had no impact at all. I mean, that was the worst part is Ferreira had no, Cervania, excuse me, had no passes into the final third, no shots. Gasse had four passes. All of them were backwards towards midfield and had one shot. He tried two dribbles and lost both of them. Cobra had zero shots. I'm sorry. And was three I'm for sorry. F- you, and now you have two sorry. dollars to put in the jar. Snake, I know. Well, I, I, I typed it that way, so I, I shouldn't have said it that way. But uh, Garden Snake had uh, zero shots and was three for four in passing. So By the they way, ran out of gas well, and on, no sub was effective. Hold on. I just want to, because I want to go back to last week's pod. Did you pay attention and note his inability to win an aerial ball under pressure. Uh, yeah. I mean, to me, it's that's one thing we've talked about a bunch is that, um, you know, early in the season, earlier in the season, I should say, one of the ideas that they had about maybe how he could be useful was that you could bring him into a game late and he would get into the box, he would bang some bodies, and he would knock down a couple of headers no. and maybe he could steal you a goal that way. But now we've learned, and this is something Lucci's learned and we've all learned watching him, is he can't do that. No, he's just So a- it's like... He's just a big pillow. That's all yeah. he is. Yeah. Uh. Now, the other guy, Jossie, um, I, I, of the two, because he, uh, in theory, is a byproduct of this new regime and front office and this uh, Zanata guy and his uh, a particular skill set that Dan seems so excited about, um, even at the detriment of the late Fernando Colavijo, um about how great he is at talent uh, uh, judgment and you know signing and selling players. I, look, I'm not sure if you could equally uh, take a measure of which guy is 
more worthless on the field for this team. I, I've yet to see anything from either one of these guys that indicates anybody who's scouting for FC Dallas has any idea what they're doing. Yeah, I think if I had to pick one, I would think that uh, the snake is worse. Uh, when I watch Gaiasi play, um, at least I see a little something that I think where I think, oh, you know, if if they harness that right, maybe that's worth a little something. But um, p- part of the, the problem with him is that I actually would like to see him play on the other side. I'd like to actually see Gaiasi play right because he, what he wants to do is cut in and shoot uh, a la Roland Lamar on his, but on his left foot because he's a lefty. So, um, you know, it, it, but so far, I uh, I 100% agree that um, this does not look like the impact signing that we were expecting or hoping. And certainly, it, when every signing you've made this year, except for Brisson, uh, and it, well, the cost has been about 50-50. So two of the four are complete busts, and one of them is 50-50. Uh, that's not a great, that's not going to bode well for the for the prosperity of your season you know when particularly the one you do in the summer window when when la brings in pavon and he looks amazing and and even out of shape he looks amazing looks like a difference maker and guys is not a difference maker so yeah uh, uh put a pin in that for a second you brought up acosta where are we right now on brian acosta playing the holding mid position as a six wearing the number eight um and do we feel like he's stepped his game up is he playing it better or is, is it still the detriment that we uh kind of talked about the last few weeks well what we talked about what we're going to worry with him is that he would drift out of position a little bit and so far and the two games since then when he's playing as a single uh six i haven't noticed him doing that it may be that because he's on his island he may is maybe he's being a little more disciplined um i mean defensively against uh la he had uh, two tackles, an intercept, three clears, you know, at four fouls. That's a lot of fouls, but at least he's hitting people, mm-hmm. you know, drew a yellow card. Um, you know, and his passing at a relatively decent clip, too, if you want to add the offensive side, you know, 86% on the road is not terrible. By the way, uh, now I'll come back to him in a second. Um, you know, so as a single holding mid, he's been okay. My, you know, other than the fact he hasn't made the defensive drift out that we were worried about, my biggest complaint is that his best skills are as an eight. It's that being that guy that can pop in under the strikers and actually hit a shot from the top of the box. Now, from 40, no, he's not going to hit that, but he can hit one from the top of the box, you know. So they're using him out of position, which bothers me. But, um, you know, Lucci's convinced he can do it. And, and, and the other option right now is probably Surreal. And, you know, again, 18 year old kid. Uh, is that a tough time since he came back from the World Cup? I don't, I don't know that he's ready to be that guy, so it's going to have to be Acosta. Yeah, if you just want to put things into perspective, um, you know the three substitutes uh, when the game was tied zero zero, he takes off an attacking player, albeit not a very good one, in Santiago Mascara for Brandon Cervania, and then they go down a goal, and his attacking options are Jossie and Andresic. Um, and we pretty much know that's, uh, you know, and, oh, by the way, you're taking off Paxton Pomacall and Jesus Ferreira for those two guys. So your two best, atta- two of your three best attacking options are now off the field, uh, and Pax and Ferreira, and you've thrown on two guys that have yet to show that they can do anything for the team. Yeah. And that really is, uh, encapsulates the big problems with this roster for Lucci. Yes. I admittedly, uh, Paxton and, uh, Ferreira had poor games, but, um, you know, Lucci's got the guys on the bench that he at least thinks are the best option that he has. And, and, and this, isn't, this isn't on Lucci, that part. Lucci didn't build this roster. 
the front office built this roster. You know, I'm sure Lucci was consulted. I'm sure he's involved, but you know, this is the problem that Oscar Perea had, had too. A lot of times he's like, you know, I, I ask for things. I don't always get them, you know? So it, sometimes you have to, Lucci's trying to play with the cards he has. And for a young guy, you know, he's doing a pretty decent job. I think there's some mistakes and we'll break his whole season down at the end of the year. But, um, you know, I, for what he had, you know, you got to roll the dice when two, your two two of your attacking players and your best player are having really bad games. You got to try something. You're down two goals. You know, at that point, you roll the dice and you bring in what you got. Now, granted, they weren't good, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, part of it too. Think about it this way: if you're Lucci, you have to make it abundantly clear to the powers that be that the guys you've given me aren't good enough. Here, I'm going to show you, and you're going to play them. You know, so there's a reason why those guys are. He's playing the guys that they've signed in a lot of ways it's to it's to demonstrate unequivocally they're not good enough mm. you know that's part of it yeah well unfortunately despite the uh, promise of it being the most active uh, transfer window ever uh it turned out not to be and it's too late now because they got what's they got yeah yeah um, now the other thing i noticed in the game last night at least for the part that i was awake for uh it, it, you know, it wasn't just uh, Paxton that had a poor game. There were lots of poor performances across the board for Dallas. Uh, Matt Hedges didn't have his best night. Um, uh, and then, obviously, some of the players, even the ones that you don't typically expect a lot out of, uh, Mascara and Baji, uh, just really seemed a bit off. And it made me wonder if this is one of those weird games because it's the middle game of a three, kind of three games in seven days setup. Just the mentality of the team switched off, and maybe some of that does uh, fall to a rookie coach who doesn't yet know how to kind of modulate that over the course of a season. Uh, for sure. I mean, that's part of it is that you had to – I think you needed a little rotation. Now, granted, when you score five goals, I think we all knew he wasn't going to change it. But at some point, you have to be um, managing the big picture too. And a veteran coach, you know, 10 years into the league, might have looked at that and gone – Hey guys, I know we scored five, but you know, we got three games in seven days. We got to get some guys in and out. You know, we're going to bring back everybody who was great with the five goal game against uh, Montreal, perhaps, you know, but then again, th that game was there for the taking. So um, it was around, like I said, around the 60 minute mark, that's when it went south and you're like, Oh, in hindsight, clearly he should have rotated somebody. Um, you know, I, I actually did think that uh, Matt Hedges had a really good game. Um, he was the only FC Dallas player that passed above 90% and he was up at 96, you know, and he had multiple runs where he covered up for people. The, the, the Dallas defense, you know, because LA was sitting so deep, I think that Reggie and Ryan Hollingshead both were really just getting overzealous and they were, and I even commented at one point, they looked like that, uh, LA was playing a four, four, two because of how deep and flat they were sitting and Cannon was way up the field. And Hollingshead was way up the field, and it left Dallas exposed a lot of ways. And and that really came to fruition with both goals came through Cannon's hole with where Cannon was too far up. Hmm. So um, no, I'll you tell know, you, I, I noticed a couple of fumbles. There was the one whiff in the box when they were trying to clear a corner kick, and a couple of yeah. things like that that maybe I uh, wrongly focused on and didn't pay attention to the other good things. So I'll I'll defer to you on that. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed, though, is um, for all the uh, criticism I give him, and while I still don't think he can finish a bag of chips, Dom Baji appears to be working a lot harder lately, it, almost in a very odd Max or Rudy kind of chasing attack, you know, defenders down, pressing high kind of way that I don't ever remember seeing him do before, but I certainly have noticed it in the last couple of games out of him. 
Yeah, uh, since the, um, I think it's since uh, the Kansas City game where he scored a goal by actually out hustling somebody. Since then, he's tried to pick it up. Nifty um, idea, by the way. Cool concept. Yeah, yeah. actually hustling. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, th- th- that's one of the things I've said about Baggio all, all along is when he plays angry, he plays better. You know, and when he feels challenged and when he feels annoyed. And so the last couple of games, he has stepped up his pressure and he has stepped up his effort a little bit. Um, he still stays on the ground too long. You know, there was a moment in, in um, the Minnesota game where they would have had a goal really early on where he was sitting on the ground when everybody else popped up and he hadn't gotten up. Uh, and that still annoys the tar out of me. Um, you know, so, and I still don't think his runs are very intelligent. I don't think he's real knowledgeable about how to play the position. But, um, you know, this is just a case of he is, is what they have. You know, I mean, as much as some people might complain about him starting, it's like it's clear that at this point there is no better option. You know, I mean, Coleman's coming back from a blown knee and can't finish anyway. Uh, the snake you and I have gone back and forth about forever. Flores, uh 18 or whatever he is and, and is not a great finisher yet. And, and uh, you know, and, and Baji has more goals per minute. You know, it's just like it's what they have. It's yeah, like a real question: Has has Coleman even scored for North Texas yet? No, no, he's not. Has he even come close? Uh, yes, he's been denied on some breakaways, which is very Christian Coleman like. <laughs> <laughs> has he yeah. kicked? Has he kicked the upright? Yeah, uh, like no. he did in that famous game. Where he no, was- but he's he's fired some over from in close though. Oh, good, very Coleman like. Right, yeah, good. Don't disappoint Christian. Never change. Well, you know, you watch him play for North Texas, and it's the same Coleman. You know, it's the same good runs. It's the same quality play. He knows what he's doing. He just still can't finish. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, and, and you mentioned him a second ago, that I, I have to think this kid is so frustrated, Jesus Ferreira, who has been asked to do two very different roles or two and a half very different roles for this team. You know, they brought him in. Uh, everybody was excited about his finishing uh, prowess and he kind of dazzled people earlier in the season, but as the as the other teams began to figure Dallas out and what Lucci was trying to do out, uh, his effectiveness uh, has started to uh, wane, and his need to come back into midfield started to grow. And now to the point where he's just playing a flat out midfield position. Yeah. Um, how do you feel he's doing so far in that role? Well, um, against Minnesota, um, he took advantage of the inexperience of that team. And uh, had had a lot of hay, if you will, uh, in the hole. You know that extra player, that extra body. Um, although two of his four shots were blocked in that game, but against LA, who's a more disciplined team defensively, they don't they don't chase. So you're you're left trying to do it on individual skill. Um, and he's not necessarily a great dribbler. He's a good passer, but he's not a good dribbler. So he can't like break a guy down like Paxton can, or Paxton usually can. Paxton didn't do that against LA, strangely. So Jesus is a mixed bag. Um, my guess on the shooting, he only had one shot against LA. My guess on the shooting is that he's thinking about it, is that he's now worried about finishing because we're all talking about finishing. His coach is talking about finishing. The media is talking about finishing. The fans are talking about finishing. So he's thinking about it. And so he's hesitating on the shot, maybe taking a touch, and he's getting his shots blocked or missing. So I think for him that he needs to go back a little bit to his more instinctual game and just pull the trigger first time when the ball's coming across. You know, when you have the opportunity in Major League Soccer, the window closes quickly. I mean, it's not the World Cup or anything, but, you know, it still closes pretty quickly usually. And so he needs to go back to, I think, instinctual play 
uh, and triggering and, and needs to learn how to either take guys on or play in tighter combinations so he can break those lines a little bit. Um, because if he, if he can't do that in the long run, he's not going to play because uh, they've got guys like Acosta or Cervania that can play that eight role. They've got nines like Baji. And if you're not going to outplay Baji, you're not going to start. Uh, eventually, they might even go get another nine. And you're going to play him on the wing, maybe. Maybe he's going to be a wing down the line. He's he's Maybe we don't know what to do with him, honestly. You know, still a kid. Give him time. I think he'll play into it. It's just he's got so much talent. But, you know, go back to your instincts, kid. Just rip it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so what that means is is they've got a, a third game coming up this weekend against Montreal, which is an odd team into itself. It is in a playoff position, but, man, they are in the worst funk going on. They've lost uh, six of their last seven games, uh, two in a row, as a matter of fact. The last win was a an odd, oddly placed 4-0 win over first-place Philadelphia, which makes no sense in comparison to the rest of the run that goes back to uh, the end of June. So... Dallas has to, by the way, I think you said this to me before we started recording. Dallas never came back to town. They flew directly from L.A. to Montreal. Yeah, that's correct. At least that is on the schedule. I suppose they could have changed their minds, but uh, that's what they talked about, and that's what they were planning to do. They were going to go up there and train in Montreal rather than try and fly back down here and then turn around and fly right back. That would have made no sense. So what do you think Lucci does in this point? I mean, obviously Montreal being above the line and now Dallas uh, being below the line and even more problematically has at least uh, everybody else around them has at least one, if not two games in hand against them. How do you foresee Lucci making changes, or does he at all, and he tries to stick with the same 11? Yeah, Montreal's a team that's slightly below 500. Um, they're above 500 at home, though, so you can't just walk in there thinking you're going to dominate. Um, but they have lost four times at home, so they are beatable up there. Um, you know, Lucci's hands are a little bit handcuffed because you got to make changes with the players you took with you. You can't, you can't uh, say... Uh, look at your whole big, huge roster. You can only look at the 19 guys that went. And other than the guys that were in the game, the player that went that you didn't see on the roster was Pepe, um, presumably because of uh, Snake's appearance on the injured reserve with this lower body strain or, or whatever it was. Um, so Pepe's your extra player. You know, you don't have you don't have Ja'Cory Hayes. He's in Dallas with, I know they said twice on the broadcast he was in LA, but he's not. He's, uh, the people I've talked to said he's here training with North Texas along with Thomas Roberts, Callum Montgomery and Johnny Nelson. They're all planning on being with North Texas this weekend. So um, you know, you're kind of stuck, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? Bring start Jossie. You're going to start, uh, maybe you can start Brisson uh, and give one of your center backs a spell. Um, maybe you can uh, bring in Cervania. Uh, you can still play in the same formation, trying to get that extra guy in there. Maybe try Cervania instead of Ferreira. Um, we also don't know what's going on with Paxton. Is he hurt? You might have to sub him if he's hurt. Uh, I mean, I hope he's not hurt, but, uh, they haven't said anything about it, but it was such a weird thing to see him come out. Um, kids got a lot of miles on him, buzz. Yeah. The kid does have a lot of miles on him. If I had to guess, um, my, my, and I'm guessing because they haven't come home I can haven't trained. I can't go watch them. So at this point we're doing a lot of guesswork. My guess is that, um, they might try Jesus back at the nine again uh, and pull Baji out and bring in Cervania uh, and have him play with Paxton as the two eights. That, that's my guess for how you might mix it up. Um, the, the other thing I wouldn't mind try since see them try would be to uh, do something crazy like uh, use Brian Reynolds um, 
I know that seems weird, but you don't have one of the things that Dallas is missing is some counter punching over the top. You know, you don't have to do it a lot, but you have to do it enough to make the defense sit back. Like they never, they never counterpunched LA. So LA played that um, sort of not quite a mid block, but you know, a higher block than normal, you know, because they couldn't get over the top at them. And, and Santiago Mascara can't play that way. Barrios can, but for some reason hasn't done that very much. Baji, you would think would be able to, but isn't. So one of the only people left on the roster that they have with them that can play over the top is Brian Reynolds. So there's a point at which you think, why not, why not try Brian Reynolds as a left wing for uh, half the game, 45, 60 minutes and and maybe try and wear some people out. And then you could bring in Mosquera to like take advantage of the tire defense or, or maybe you could give Cannon a game off, you know, and, and, and let Reynolds run up and down the flank and try and get some verticality that way. And, you know, it's, um, there's not a whole lot Lucci has at his disposal no, to do different. I mean, when, it's even more, it's even less than normal because you don't have your whole team. You know, you can't, you, you got to do something though, I think. It's kind of like when you're super hungry and you open the pantry and you see all this stuff in the pantry, yet there's nothing that looks anything good to eat. Yeah. I mean, what, do you, what are you going to do? Start Snake or start got Jossie? I mean, neither one of those guys have done anything that made me think that they're ready to start. It's just my take. I, you know, I suppose if you're really desperate, maybe you might try something like that. But well, the only I, thing I so what? But I guess at this point, and then you know, with only nine games left, four home games, and you know, we've talked about this, which is the, this is not an MLS Cup winning team. I, I, no. I don't think they're even a playoff team. Why isn't Ricardo Pepe starting up top and um, and the other young kids getting more time, getting yeah. and using this as more experience? I mean, is there? Is there a disconnect between what the what management is telling Lucci to do, or is, is does Lucci really think that he's fighting for a playoff spot? Well, Lucci really thinks he's fighting for a playoff spot, and and um, um, Hunt Dan Hunt doubled down on that on how important it was, and they had a bit of a um, sort of come to Jesus meeting uh, before the Minnesota game. That basically was like, okay, listen, you know, this team's expected to be in the playoffs. This is not. You know, we we talk a lot about the young guys, but you guys are plenty good enough to be in the playoffs. No, wait so they've a doubled. Hold up, wait a second. Who says that? Like, who goes into a season with a very young roster, a ro- literally a rookie head coach, and uh, and a new technical director who even admits he needs to learn the league and think you're a playoff team? This was well, never going to be a playoff team. Yeah. Well, they think they are. I mean, that's the, that's the thing is the Hunts completely believe that this model is, and their kids are good enough to be able to keep them in the playoffs. You know, I, I don't, I don't know what to say really because uh, I thought that the combination of the youth and a couple of good veterans would get them in, but it's, some of the veterans have been what have let them down. Well, uh, here, you know? let me add this in there. Uh, maybe at the beginning of the season, I could understand where somebody would have, be of that opinion because you had Carlos Grezo and you had the potential, or at least the idea that he was finally going to come good in Pablo Arangis, but the latter turned out to not even want to be here, and the other one. Um, you sold for a whole bunch of money, which I totally get. So, uh, <clears throat> and and everything that you claimed you were going to do to replace those players either didn't happen or you tried to, and those was even and those players turned out to be even worse. So, yeah, if Dan Hunt or anybody else in the front office thinks this was a playoff team at the end of July, they're kidding themselves. They just have to be kidding themselves. Well, the, the loss to LA really puts them out of it. You know, I mean, at this point now, they they actually have a relatively week schedule you know they have sporting behind them colorado's behind them chicago's not that good cincinnati's not any good houston's not that good 
Montreal's mediocre. Chicago, uh, Seattle's not bad, but they just got smoked by Real Salt Lake. You know, New York City's pretty good, but it's like you got a bunch of winnable games. But the problem is, is that you're now, as you mentioned, they got games in hand. To, uh, everyone else has two games in hand on them. You know, so you need in order to make it now, you need somebody else to collapse. And I don't. It doesn't look like Portland's going to be that team. You, you were you, if you'd have taken the six points from LA, maybe you could have made made them that team, and you might have been in. But you at this point, you got to hope San Jose craters, which is doesn't seem likely, or Seattle craters, which doesn't seem likely. So, um, the the despite the fact there's nine games left, I'm starting to agree with you. I think they're running out of time and games in order to get it done. Well, and I think the other part of it is if you just go back and com- and compare their track record against. You know, as you say, they they have a lot of weak teams left in the their re- last nine games. If you just go back and look at their record against other weak teams, it isn't very good. You know, they yeah. lost to Kansas City two nothing. They lost to Orlando two nothing. Um, Portland they lost, uh, who was behind them in the standings at the time. Uh, Toronto they beat Toronto. Uh, they tied at home against Vancouver. Uh, you know, you could go through this list on and on, and and, and yeah. I, there's just they, in fact they've lost. They in fact they've only gotten one point against Vancouver this season, which is the last place team. They lost to them in Vancouver and tied them at home. So you can run through the list, and it, it, there's just no real indicator yeah. through the course of the season that, despite having a relatively weak schedule, that that actually bodes well for this team. Well, we're at the point of the season now where. Um, Lucci's going to start feeling an, if he hadn't already, he's really going to start feeling an immense amount of pressure now because now wait, hold on, wait, I, I'm interested when you say that, do you think yeah. there's absolutely any scenario? Lucci Gonzalez is not the coach of this team next year. There's his, his seat is ice cold as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. No, me too. I think there's absolutely no chance he gets fired, but I still think that he's feeling pressure that he feels like, you know, Oscar's team. I've taken Oscar's team and driven into the ground. So there's going to be pressure on him to perform and make the playoffs, regardless of the fact that his job is secure. I still think there's pressure, but what the point I was going to make was that when coaches get under pressure of the standings uh, of I'm out and I got to try and get in, usually they shorten their bench. They go to the players that they feel more comfortable with Oscar. That was older guys. He would stop. If he was playing guys, he would, he would usually stop playing at this time of year. He'd go to the vets. It'll be interesting to watch what Lucci does. Um, when he's under pressure, what does he consider when he shortens his bench? Who are his go-to guys? Which guys start to get left out? Who are the guys he he clearly relies on? I mean, are we going to see the same eleven players game after game after game? Um, you know, while he thinks he's still got a chance, and while he still has a chance, which is the other question I didn't get a chance to answer earlier uh, that you asked me and I failed to answer it, so that was my fault. Um, was are we going to see Pepe? Are we going to see Thomas Roberts? The question of the the answer to those questions is probably as long as Lucci thinks he's in the playoffs or competing for the playoffs, it's probably not going to be about developing sixteen year olds. It's going to be um, the hardcore eleven or maybe thirteen or maybe fifteen or whatever it is. As he gets more and more nervous and and goes to who he thinks his core guys are going to be, and that'll be really telling in terms of where this team's headed over the next in the winter. These next few games, you'll be able to really tell what Lucci thinks about his team. I think. So, uh, amongst after the loss last night, a lot of uh, the comments from the fans, uh, as it happens when teams lose, and especially uh, when you've been losing more than winning, uh, everybody always likes to default back to how cheap your owners are, and and the you know the, the modus operandi of bottom line first, and this and that. 
And uh, earlier today, we tweeted out uh, just some historical, uh, just for historical perspective, uh, information about Hunt Sports Group as an ownership group across how many years they've owned all these clubs and all these teams across different sports. And we've talked about this and we've tweeted it out before, but it's always really interesting perspective. You know, a Hunt Sports Group has a hundred and, uh, did I say 16, 114 years of pro club ownership between the Chiefs, uh, FC Dallas, the Crew, the Wiz or Wizards, and uh, the Great Dallas Tornado. And out of that, the Hunts have won seven traditional league championships, whether it be AFL, Super Bowl, which they won once, NSAL championship, and MLS Cups. They've won four supporter shields in MLS and three cup trophies. And I guess the question, Buzz, is, is that a notable and uh, impressive track record for uh, an ownership that that counts across uh, five different teams and three different sport leagues? Yeah, I'm I'm of two minds about that. It's it's certainly not an impressive haul um, of trophies. Um, if you're expecting you know your team to be the creme de la creme of the league, it's not even close. But uh, I can also think of organizations that are worse um, that you know have gone a hundred years without winning anything, or have uh, you know there's a bunch of teams in MLS that have never made the playoffs at all. Now a lot of them are new teams, but um, you know it's. Yeah, you. There was one version of it that I think you had mentioned at one time that, that it was a, a piece of silverware every seven and a half years, I think, which is not uh, absolutely horrible. Um, it's like everything else they do. It's middle of the pack. It's uh, it's ride the wave of the league. Uh, sit in the middle. Don't do anything crazy. Don't risk your franchise. You know, let it grow in value. If you get lucky in your drafting in the in the NFL, you know, with your current quarterback, you look great. If you get a good coach, you can go a couple of years and get close to a couple of things. You do look pretty good, like they have with Oscar, like they did with the Chiefs lately. Um, you know, if you go from your academy and build up, you're fine. But in a hundred years, they've never spent a lot of money. They've never gone for the crazy high end, super amazing, talented players and spent crazy money in any league that they do. This is. This is who they are, right? It's middle of the pack, budget conscious. Win a win a piece of silver every once in a while. I, I, there's been worse. There's certainly been way better, and there's been worse. So I, it's not. Man, listen, I'm not a defender of the hunts by any stretch of imagination. But you know, I we look at the Rangers, the Texas Rangers, for goodness sakes. What have they ever done, right? And they've been around for what is it, fifty years now, and never done anything. Yeah, so well, it's early seventies. Yeah, so yeah, it's I mean. 50. You know, it can be worse. At least, you know, we got a couple of open cups and a couple of supporter shields around here. I'm mean, tied for one and one. I mean, that's better than some teams. I mean, Grant, it's not an MLS Cup. I know. Listen, I get it. Uh, you know, uh, and under the under Oscar's regime, over five years, they had the second most points in the league. And since the Hunts have taken over, they're one of the best, uh, like five teams in the league in terms of winning percentage, and they're and they're one of the top three or four teams in terms of points gained over the course of the MLS's history. You know, I, I know they've never won the big one. Uh, the 2010 one really hurts because of how good that team was. And then the, the season that um, Mauro Diaz got hurt, that really hurts because that looked like a championship team. And then there's the season Castillo left. Uh, that looked like it could have been something special. And then Castillo left on, on him. So, you know, I, I can't bag him too much. It's not my billions of dollars. I mean, listen, I would, I would do it differently, but um 
Oh yeah, you no, know, and, and let me middle uh, of the pack is what they are. Yeah, and and that's kind of the point to all of this, which is uh, if you are unhappy and unsatisfied as an FC Dallas fan, you could be a fan of the Revolution, who I understand now have invested a little bit of money in a player and a coach and are on a bit of an awesome streak, but they still play in that super shitty NFL stadium um, and and get very very love, little love from their ownership group. Uh, you could be Montreal, you could be the Fire. Uh, you could be, oh my God, the Colorado Rapids or Vancouver Whitecaps. And because there are many things that the Hunts have done that we all truly admire and love, which is the growth of the academy. The problem is, at the end of the day, uh, when it comes to the one thing I think most of us really want to see this team do, which is win an MLS Cup, it just feels like it's going to end up only being in that one weird, bizarre season where everything tends to fall into space and uh, we and and somehow all the stars align of homegrowns of the best homegrowns this team has ever uh, accumulated and maybe a couple of veterans that finally allows that to happen sometime before I die. Yeah, that that's that's basically as we just said that's their modus operandi, right? They're just going to have to wait for it to all come together. And even aside from MLS Cup, just in terms of like we'd all like to see the place sold out right? We'd love to see it packed out. We'd love to see soccer be relevant, you know, and all that is going to be, all that is contingent in the new MLS with these teams like Atlanta, these teams like LAFC, these teams like Inter Miami coming. There's a new, these new kids are doing crazy stuff and, and I don't know the hunts are going to keep up. Yeah. So it's, you you just have to resign yourself in a way. uh, People talk about all the time. You think about, um, Newcastle or Arsenal or we're not in Arsenal now, but previously when you would hear of these teams, talking about fans doing walkout or not buying season tickets and, you know, vote with your dollars. And I tend to tell people, I think that's exactly what you're seeing in Frisco week in and week out is the, the general massive collection of soccer fans in the DFW area are absolutely voting with their entertainment dollar by not attending FC Dallas games because they don't like the product. They don't like the game day experience. They don't like whatever the aspect of it is. Um, uh, you know, they don't like the fact that they don't buy big names. They don't like driving to Frisco. They don't like the fact that it's a dome, not a dome stadium, whatever it is. It's a consumer choice, but this, the the reason why the stadium isn't full is because people are voting with their entertainment dollars. Yeah. The word I like to use is relevant. It's like to the average sports fan or to the average entertainment dollar. It's just like, it just doesn't register half the time, you know, and we've talked about one way you could maybe get around that without having to spend millions on DPs is to invest in a, in a young, you know, your young local kids and trying to make, make your Dak Prescott type player out of, out of Paxton. Uh, and it's, since I'm just talking about Paxton right now, let me real quickly drop in that um, I'm starting to hear chatter through the grapevine that um, FC Dallas has started negotiating with him uh, on a new contract. So um, I don't know any details or who's made any offers or whatever, but I understand that there's some people are talking. So I'm sure it's not Paxton, I'm sure it's his agent or whatever, but um you know, at least that's positive. At least they're going to try and get him locked up and uh, for a couple of years anyway, and hopefully make him uh, a star. That'll be nice. I mean, that'll be something, but um, you know, it's, it, it, this is the hunts. They're not going to spend the crazy money. It's like, you have to, re- you have to accept the fact that two things, when you're going to have to follow this team as a fan, the hunts aren't going to spend crazy money and they're not going to sell this team. Is it- this is their Lamar Hunt legacy team now. This is all they have left to for their father's soccer legacy. So they're not selling it. Is there any truth to the rumor that the deal they put on the table for Paxton is largely made up of uh, lifetime collection or a supply of Avocare spark packets and uh, coupons for Chick Fil A chicken biscuits? 
Yeah, it's the Chick-fil-A card. That was the big part of it. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants one of those, the Chick-fil-A card. Yep, I'd kill for one of those. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, look, it's easy to uh, knock all of this stuff, but the, at the end of the day, uh, it, it is the reality, uh, and you're right, they're never going to sell the team. Uh, and, uh, and, and there are a lot, and I still contend there are way worse situations than this. Um, and maybe one of these days, all the uh, dominoes will fall in place and we'll have the most kick-ass team made up of 18 year olds and, uh, we'll go out and win an MLS cup and I won't be dead by the time it happens. Yep. Well, I think the, I think the younger generation of fans are less patient. Uh, you know, you and I are old enough. They rem- we remember when there wasn't pro soccer. Like from the end of the North American Soccer League oh, to yeah. the start of Major League Soccer, there basically wasn't pro soccer. I mean, there was the yeah. A League kind of semi pro ish, and there was indoor, but it's not the same thing, no. you know. And so, a certain part of me, anyway, um, you know, I listen. I, I don't love that the Hunts don't want to spend any money, but what I do like is their family love of this soccer, and they're going to put their money into it and make it stable as much as they can, however they feel is appropriate. And now they're investing in youth and that's exciting to me. So, you know, cause I know that that's a sustainable, that you can have a, I can talk sustainable quality product, maybe not MLS cup winning product, but a better than average product. If you have an outstanding Academy and there's plenty of talent here for that. So, um, you know, those parts excite me. Obviously I'd like to win an MLS cup, but you know, if it doesn't happen, sometimes it's good just to be good all the time. Uh, and I forgot to mention this earlier. I did want to take a minute to uh, discuss Reggie and the whole uh, 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 spitting incident that happened against Minnesota, which was a really, really weird and bizarre. Did we ever find out what caused that or the the impetus behind him spitting at Cannon in the first place? No, no one. Neither one of them have mentioned any of it. Anything that caused an instigating event. Um, Reggie's a pretty nice guy, so I, I don't know what he would have said. Other than just like, I'm whooping you, <laughs> I guess maybe uh, something like that. I, you know, it's a bad moment. It's a sour moment. I, I'm, I'm disappointed. They didn't rescind uh, Reggie's yellow card as near as I can tell. I mean, they didn't talk about it and I looked and he's still on the, you know, two cards for suspension. So, and, and, they, and um, they gave him a yellow for taking his shirt off, which is the rule, yeah. but he took his shirt off cause he had to wipe the spit and the loogie off of his yeah. shirt. Uh, which I don't blame him because that's pretty gross. Uh, yeah, strangely, I went and looked, and that the card shows up as time wasting. So they didn't give him for the, you know, it wasn't part of the celebration part of unsportsmanlike. Uh, it was definitely the delay of the game, time wasting. But you know, refs are they could come up with anything. They could have just they could have called it, you know, uh, whatever the unsportsmanlike behavior. They could have called it dissent, whatever you wanted to call it. You know. Yeah, I don't know Mason Toy at all, but I my just for whatever reason I had gotten had come of the impression that he was uh you know level-headed super nice guy i was shocked that he did that um and it's gonna take i you know i think some people seem to have been more than willing to accept his apology and applauded his apology and i'm i'm still a little miffed about the whole thing to be honest with you and my opinion of him is lower than it was prior to that whole thing yeah i I find his uh statement that he didn't mean to slightly disingenuous because if you look at the video, that looks like a pretty specifically targeted spit to me and the way his teammates instantly react to, you know, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> makes it pretty clear that it was intent. They all thought it was intentional too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Katero's reaction is priceless. It is pretty, <laughs> yeah. it's like he punches him in the arm. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Big dummy. Yeah. Well, uh, glad it didn't get any worse than that. Um, yeah. And uh, Dallas got the win out of it. And that's all anybody cares about. Spin on us all you want as long as we kick your ass. 
Yeah. Um, wish we could. I wish LA would spit on us. Um, okay. <laughs> well, uh, so there we go. We've got another game in the books and um, nothing. Oh, and uh, Buzz, what about the 17s uh, in Mexico? What did you want to Oh, yeah. The, uh, the U17s are down in Mexico for the Liga MX Sub International Tournament. This is a tournament they've gone to for like six, seven years now. And they're going to sweep uh, it and win it with ease. No, right? no, no, no. There's not this time. It's six oh. years, excuse me. Um, this current uh, U17 team is a uh, is interesting because um they had they have they've lost four or five players out of their team including a couple that were more of their better players and they brought in about six or seven players um and you're only allowed to take 20 kids with you and they took some of the older players who happened a lot of them be reserves um and left out a bunch of the the kids the 15s have come up from last year and they're now merged with the 16s and because the 17s is a two-year gap like the 19s is a two-year gap so it's the preseason for this 17s team um and they they honestly have like seven or eight new players out of their twenty they took are you know brand new they got a guy from Texans they got a guy from Sacramento Republic they got guys from their Premier team have come up so um, they're a big time work in progress you know they, it's their preseason they've never really played together this is going to be a very very difficult tournament for them to win um, but super good experience and super good exposure for those kids because it's a huge inter, uh, tournament in Mexico really, really high level tournament in Mexico. It's, it's great that Dallas gets to go all year, every, every year, excuse me. And then it's, I think the U 15 team, which is, um, Peter Lucine's X team. I think that's the team is gone to Germany as part of a big, huge German tournament right now that they're getting ready for the season. So some fun international stuff happening with the Academy as they ramp up for their, um, the 2019, 2020 DA season, which starts at the end of this month. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, next week when we record, Dan may still be working on that stupid TIFO. So uh, <laughs> we'll have to hopefully either get him locked in to join us again or find a substitute. Yeah, hopefully uh, Dan will be back. And or um, if we can plan ahead other than and not find out the last second, we can hopefully have a good uh, guest next week if Dan can't fill in. Or even if Dan does come back, we can have a good guest. Yeah, I wonder who we could get. Uh, we'll have to think of something. I've been stirring around in my head that we need to randomly invite a fan to join us on the <laughs> podcast one day and just see that, that how that experiment goes. <laughs> Perhaps not randomly, but maybe we can bring in somebody. Uh, well, no, random that they are surprised we asked. Right? Oh, like yeah. I, okay, sure, I, yeah. I, could, I could think of five or six different people that I think would be fun to have on the podcast um, and, you know, and say, hey, would you like to do this? And if they and they have to say yes right on the spot or they're out. Yeah. Like at the last second, ambush them? Well, maybe give them a little heads up <laughs> because they got to get a microphone set up and make sure they've got the you know the technical ability to do it. But yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. That could be fun. It could also be a massive disaster, but sometimes disasters are more fun than the regular thing. Sure. <laughs> you don't do Why not? All right. No, I don't know about disasters. I like to plan ahead. Okay. All right. Well, Buzz, thank you very much. And uh, thank you, you good old-fashioned FC Dallas Curious fan. We will speak to you next week, hopefully after a big win up in Canada, on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. 